This is Strange Assembly episode 167, Spookylicious. <laughs> That's right, Spooky. I went there. Delicious. Yes. I believe this is the, the longest stretch we've had of one thing for a while. I think this is our sixth Legend of the Five Rings episode in a row. The people who are waiting on the the general tabletop gaming feed must be very lonely right now. <laughs> uh, <laughs> but that is Robert Denton of the Legend of the Five Rings story team. Hello. We also have with us Fred Wan, Legend of the Five Rings continuity editor. Hello. And the adorable J. Earl. Hi. And we are here to talk about Winter Court 4 and the Legend of the Five Rings novel and the influence that those may have had on each other. Plus, we will try to sneak in questions to trip up Fred and Spooky and get them to reveal things that they aren't supposed to. Ha ha ha. Bring it on. <laughs> this episode basically was called at your request, Chairman Spooky, and I hear that you may be tangentially involved with that novel thing. Yeah, I, I'm playing a small part in writing the whole thing. <laughs> <laughs> oh, and I, I have to give you a, a tip, Fred, Jay. If you suggest that people may have wanted Miyaka to be Empress before Spooky played her at Winter Court 4, apparently this will hurt his feelings, so don't... Oh, well, I heard that people wanted Miyaka to be Empress before Spooky started playing her. That is true. <laughs> that is true, but I like to think just, that I made just, the problem worse. You, you totally did. I, I think it was, you know, there was one crab who was obsessed with the idea, and when that got smacked out, everyone was like, okay, okay. We get it, we'll stop talking about it. And then you brought it back up and everyone couldn't stop talking about it. It's not my fault. I just wanted her to be likable and strong. And then you had her tell off an Oni. That did happen. She did tell off an Oni. That Oni was in the wrong place. This is true. (laughs) Oh no. And then you wasted her on the Scorpion Clan. Ah. Boo. Boo. So, uh, interestingly enough, I really wish, I really wish taking multiple husbands was a thing in Rokugan, because it would have made my decision a lot easier. Although I will also, I have to say, the final decision on who would marry Miyaka was uh, ultimately left to a GM vote. And Karyudo happened to win by a very slim margin. You know, I kind of like the way that story came out. It would have also been cool if uh, Haruma Tetsuya, yeah, yeah, the if Haruma heart. Tetsuya had won, it would I, it would have also been cool. But I'm also happy that Karyudo won. I was also I also liked him. So either of those two winning would have been my personal choice. I'm glad one of them did. But yeah, the the secret heart thing that the crab did was just that was pretty that was pretty awesome. I was pretty happy with that too. Would you yeah, care, would you two care to explain for those of us like me who are not in Winter Court Force so or our no. audience has some earthly clue what you're talking about? No, no. <laughs> yeah, I, I will. So 
Haruma Tetsuya was a homebrew crab who was really, really shy, but he was shy in court, but then, like, more confident in warrior sort of matters. He was enamored with the princess, but too shy to talk to her directly. So it wasn't him so much courting as the entire crab clan courting on his behalf. Every chance they got, they came up with this plan called the Secret Heart. What they did was they they made a presentation during an Ikebana contest to the princess, basically saying, there's someone here at court who adores you and uh, is wanting to learn more about you and wants you to find out who he is. And they basically constructed this, this persona of this secret heart and the things that he's done and left clues everywhere because they knew she liked riddles and puzzles and investigations and things like that. And they kind of weaved this narrative and throughout court, every time that princess was with a crab it would just sort of get slipped into the conversation real casual-like. It wasn't overbearing, but it was just sort of a, it was like, oh, yeah, the secret heart is interested in that, too, and he did this thing, you know, and they would talk and sort of, and then gifts and spontaneous things would appear, spontaneous gestures would happen at different events, and uh, slowly this man's legend grew in court. And, of course, eventually she figures out who it is, but she doesn't, she doesn't expose it to the court at large. So when she and he finally have the Nakoto arranged discussion, when they finally have their, I don't even want to know to call it a date because it's not, this isn't a culture that dates, but I guess it's like a date. When they finally have, uh, have some time alone, they sort of already know each other. Meanwhile, this, you know, rumors of, the secret heart and who he is and what's what's going on with that that whole angle is spreading throughout the court culminating in on the final day where a puzzle box is left in the open corridor labeled the secret heart the secret to opening of which is uh, known only to the crab and uh, the princess it was a caillou artifact and i think at the end of court there's still wonder if uh, Bayushi Karyudo was the secret heart or if it was someone else, if the secret heart was successful or if he wasn't. And no one in canon really knows except the people involved. And it sort of blew up into a bigger legend, which uh, I'm all about. I thought that was really cool. Bayushi Karyudo was the other suitor that made it to the top. He actually did not court the princess at all for the beginning. I think the first, there was like a single mingle party that um, Doji Nishikawa, the Imperial Nakoto, had put together. And it was mostly so that he could observe people and figure out what their motivations were and things like that under the guise of a meet and greet. And at this party, Karyudo is looking in the direction of the princess and is just like, oh my god, what a beauty. I can't believe this. She's amazing. I have to talk to her. And walks right past the princess and goes to her Yojimbo. And talks to the Yojimbo. And uh, 
throughout the court, they conduct a romance between the two of them. So it's him and the Yojimbo that are that are having this this courtly romance, and he's not pursuing the princess at all. But as it so happens, the looking at astrology and the celestial alignments and things like that, the people in charge of the princess's marriage and all of the you know Nishikawa and everyone, they come to realize that the only person among the Scorpion delegation that actually has any celestial compatibility with her is Karyudo. And this is revealed in a meeting that is overheard by the Yojimbo, and she has to choose between her own longings and a successful marriage for her friend. So she she breaks off the romance with Karyudo, breaks his heart, breaks her own heart, and uh, the two sort of avoid each other for a while. And then she gets murdered. And uh, I think what happened there before, like when they broke up, I think one of the things she ordered Karyudo to do was to pursue the princess, was say, you have to do this. If there's, uh, if there's any chance that she could have happiness in her life, then you need to do it. And I think after the, the murder, after this was discovered, the two grew closer in the wake of the tragedy because the princess had always considered Yojimbo to be her best friend. Karyudo was in love with the Yojimbo and there were, so that that sort of shared tragedy brought them closer as friends. I don't think they were in love or anything, but it brought them closer together as friends. And I think that's honestly, I think that's why he ended up winning the, winning the vote I don't want to speak for the GMs. Um, I don't know what the the specifics were. I know that the votes were very, very close, and I liked both stories for both characters, but um, that was the one that won out in the end. Did I just talk way, way too long about... No. I hear that... There is nothing that people like more than listening to other people talk about the role-playing game characters. So I'm sure that was exactly the right length. Uh, no, but it, it, given the significance of the character, I suspect you did not talk too long, and I suspect that you just made fans uh, for life of all the people who were in the Crab and Scorpion delegations at Winter Court. So. Well, they did a great job. I mean, all the delegations were entertaining in their own ways, and I, I liked... I mean, Winter Court's my favorite event. It's my favorite L5R event. It beats Gen Con, even. Uh, I just love the Winter Court role-playing game. That's my favorite thing that AEG does. So, it's not hard to impress me, but even so, I was extremely impressed. This year was, uh, was, was really cool. With a few little... Hiccup exceptions this year was awesome. There are always a few little hiccup exceptions every year. There are only a few little hiccup exceptions. That seems like it would be a miracle. <laughs> so, so you're telling me you haven't been dissuaded from uh, Winter Court Five then? <laughs> uh, I hope I will be. I hope I will be reinvited to do Winter Court Five. I was on the fence for a little while. But I, I would like to do Winter Court Five again if I am if I am so permitted. I feel like my time management on Winter Court Four left much to be desired, and um, if the next GM team 
would have me, I would be uh, and would overlook my time management issues for Winter Court Four. I would be greatly honored to to return. Well, that's that, that's funny. You you say time management issues and and be allowed to, and I figured it was something like your wife wouldn't allow you to do Winter Court Five because you <laughs> failed to pay any attention. Well, to that her is a time that. management issue. <laughs> <laughs> my wife is awesome and super understanding, and encourages me to do um role-playing games and things like that because she knows it's like my brain candy. So, and uh, if she can overhear me right now, then bonus points. Well, all you have to do is just surreptitiously get this on, you know, her iPod or whatever, and then just completely coincidentally, she'll she'll hear you singing her praises. I think she does listen to the episodes that I'm on, actually. Ah. So you have motivation to have me on more. <laughs> Look at that one it raises your your audience yes. by yes i mean well hey i mean by one that's like a 33 percent increase give or take right <laughs> something like that yes oh <laughs> uh, now that's yeah that we, we we have a, a few more than three listeners but you know before we only you have to... four now yep <laughs> <laughs> for this episode before we get to the stuff that you actually wanted to talk about let me ask about the sort of obvious things there and let, let me let's see how can i ask this in as sinister a way as possible you thought that the scorpion and crab delegations did a really good job so you're just in on the conspiracy aren't you <laughs> uh what conspiracy yeah you were in winter court four and we now have had the full revelation of how the brothers destiny not mega game mega game worked <laughs> and so I didn't know if you had any commentary on all the things swirling around the scoring of Winter Court 4 or or you collectively on the whole hidden nature of the Cote winner voting. There's some things I'm willing to say. And Fred will interject when I've gone too far. No, I'm joking, Fred. You don't have to feel. Although, feel also, yeah, I, I'm kind of joking. If it sounds like I'm about to insult somebody, then uh, then well, I'll then I'll intervene right after it's too late. Okay, exactly. This is, this is where we should give Fred a censor button so he just sleep <laughs> everything Spooky says. <laughs> oh no! Looks like we lost connection with Spooky. Oh uh, <laughs> no! That's the fun. I'm the only one who gets that button on these episodes. <laughs> I will say that. My personal hope was that Shibatsu would win, and that didn't happen. But uh, I actually actually did not know how the Kote stuff would be weighed until everybody else found out at the same time. So I and and a lot of the GMs on the forums, you know, everybody has their personal preferences on how things will turn out, but there was no conspiracy or orchestration or any of that. I think the knee-jerk reaction is um, unwarranted. I think it's unfair, because it's unfair to the GMs who worked really hard to put the event together. I do think if there's some criticism, it could be that you know, you could maybe argue that glory rewards and things like that were inconsistent, but we had... How many GMs 
across different forums, uh, you know, trying to catch everything and trying to reward glory in the in the fairest manner. And I, I mean, I can attest, people were laboring over whether or not it was fair to reward this much versus that much, and even across different forums, the GMs were doing their absolute best to be fair in the rewards given out. And uh, honestly, they're they're awesome group of people. It was great to work with them. And uh, I think um, I am especially disappointed at specific accusations that were levied when the game had mostly finished. And I was, I was really, really disappointed because it was a, it was done by a player that I really, really liked and admired the role playing that was done. So I was disappointed that, 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 that happened. It's not true. And, um, I denounce any kind of suggestions of some kind of conspiracy that one air was set up to be winning from the start. Losing my vocabulary as I'm speaking here, but the gist is it wasn't true. I have to say I was kind of surprised I was kind of surprised to hear that you did not know what the Cote system was. I, I would have thought that there was more collaboration between the various story and event and design and brand segments of the L5R experience on something that big? To be completely fair, I have been so absorbed with novel-related stuff that um, most of that sort of stuff has been taken on by other members of the story team and uh, people higher up. And at the time, I think we had Fred, myself, Sean, and that was it. I think Rob, Rob Hobart is also on the story team, but he's mostly involved in the, in the role-playing game side. So um, just because I didn't know doesn't mean that story wasn't informed, but um, engrossed as I am and was in novel-related stuff and um, other duties being delegated, I just I wasn't privy to that particular information. Does that make sense? Yes. I guess this will partially conserve as a whether or not Fred has anything to say on that. In hindsight, I mean, okay, obviously there were people who complained about the way that that was handled, and yep. that. And so let me first note that, at least for me, the fact that people complained about something does not mean that there was something done wrong. Right. <laughs> so don't feel obligated to to answer in, in that way, but do you, were there any lessons learned from the way that this was deployed? I mean, in, in hindsight, is there some way you think it could or should have been done differently, or you might do it differently if you did it again? Or Are you so, referring to Winter Court or to Cotes or both? I was thinking more particularly about the... The Cote votes, you could say Winter Court 4 to the extent that you, you wanted to, but I personally, Winter Court was given an, a sort of unprecedented level of influence, and I don't know if we'll ever be given that again anyway, so mm-hmm. it seems less relevant. But anyhow, okay. you said the, yes. I, I think it is fair to say that 
if we had stated up front that we are going to match clan virtues to heirs, right? Even we could even have said which virtues specifically will be will make sense, but we're not telling you in advance, so you have to think about your choice, right? If we had had a line or two like that, I don't think there'd be any complaints after the fact. And so the absence of those lines up front, I think, is just an error. Right? Where we would have said something along those lines, right? So the, and it, by not doing so, I think we made a mistake. I could see maybe there was an intention to um, to have decisions made by the players have long-reaching consequences in addition to the immediate gratifying consequences. But it could be implemented better, and it will be in the future. It seemed like a there, there could be a place for somewhat obfuscated things. They're just, friend kind of indicated, there needed to be some sort of a connection identified. Yeah. I also didn't know if, like, you sort of look at the new philosophy of being more explicit about what the consequences were may just yeah. eliminate the possibility of that anyway. I will say that the actual public release didn't go through me. It might have gone through Sean, but I, I don't think so either. But definitely, I don't think there's any disagreement when I say it would have been better if we had explicitly said something saying, think carefully about your choice because, and then explained even in just general terms, hey, we're linking each candidate to certain virtues. Right? If it had been as simple as that, I think there would have, there would be uh, no complaints. So I think by oversight not doing that that's just a mistake that's that's all it is and we should do it better next time and i think there is awareness at aeg collectively that we need to be better about telling people there will be consequences and even if we're not telling you exactly what those consequences are that we give you enough information so that you not only can make an informed decision that you feel like you had a chance to make that informed decision. So while we're on the subject of informed decisions and Kote, and I'm just going to drag this even further off of what Spooky wanted it to be, but we'll get back to that, I promise. <laughs> so for, Someday. The, for this Kote <laughs> season, well, well, this is just something that I had thought, it, it, it seemed like my read on what you guys had meant was different what some other people's read were, and I so I thought I'd, I'd check. If you save an icon from another clan, the way I had read that, like, or sorry, if you save an icon from another clan and you choose it to do so in a way that will strengthen your clan and, and drive a wedge between the two clans, I had taken that to be something more like that clan would still have it, but you'd be able to take advantage of it in some way. Maybe you had learned something or... You know, if I'm if I'm a dragon player and I win and I choose Mantis boats, that doesn't mean that the Mantis Navy goes away and now it's the Dragon Navy. But I have seen other people refer to that sort of pick as quote stealing 
the thing. Like, when I save Icon X in a way that strengthens my clan, my clan is taking this, your clan is losing it. Is it intended to be one way or the other, or is it up in the air depending on the circumstances, or... I think... Okay, definitely I've also seen players say, no, we're taking it. That, I think, is going to depend very much on context, specific picks, what we think tells a good story. I wouldn't exclude the possibility of just outright theft, but I also don't think it should automatically be seen as theft. Because having it always be one or the other, I think, actually is not interesting. It also results in too much property changing hands in somewhat arbitrary ways. But at the same time, I recognize that oftentimes people are doing this to create strife, right? Like, that that's what the prize says. It will create strife. And so I think the focus throughout will be on how do we maximize that logical conflict. And don't get me wrong, like, I, I, I am following when players say, no, 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 I want to take this away from these guys. But at the same time, um, I don't want to say automatically that such a pick inevitably results in one clan losing and the other get the uh, strife-causing clan taking from the other clan. Would it be fair to say that the nature of what the icon is would substantially influence yes. what the chances such as... Yes. If So if I save Ancestral Sword of the Crane Clan in a hostile way, that seems like it would be much more likely to be me. Oh, look... The sword isn't broken, but now I've got it, as opposed to, I hostily save the Kakita technique. <laughs> yes. Right. There are some things that are just harder to physically take. They're, they're just, you know, because if blah 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 thing from the center of the clan's holdings has been saved in a hostile way, it's harder to justify it being taken, right? It would be like, this is not an actual pick I although I'm not looking at the chart in front of me, if someone said, you know, the pick-a-clan, say, dragon, take Shiro Okoto. <laughs> sure, right? Like, th there are issues with the dragon actually taking Shiro Okoto without, you know, the two clans being at war or the lion being crushed in some way. I was going to say, even if the dragon and the lion are at war, you're going to have to have some good story justification for us actually taking it. Yeah, right. And, and, so, <laughs> and I'm trying to choose an example that's not actually on the table because I like choosing things that I won't immediately be asked to adjudicate on. Well, remember, Fred, technically everything's on the table. Yes, but it's <laughs> on the list, and more things yeah. the list get picked generally. But yeah, like I remember reading on Facebook, a bunch of people wanted to corrupt Kuni Renyu's dog. <laughs> yeah, I reading about that, it's like this big push. I saw that, and honestly, as much as I, I am usually opposed to what I would consider joke picks, like the whole, let's have a crab elephant be warlord of the colonies, <laughs> because those are often kind of bad for the setting, but honestly, on that one... No, no, I, I'm not. I'm not necessarily saying that wouldn't work either. I'm just saying, you know, that, that's. Yeah. What I'm like, ah, sometimes unexpected picks do get made. Yeah, well, I, I was just say that that one, to me, actually, like that works. If you if yeah, you win a cote and that is what you want, and that seems like it would work fine in the story, dude's dog gets corrupted. I don't know if it's going to be as exciting as you think it's going to be, but 
It'd be funny for five minutes. Mm-hmm. As I think somebody said, Renu would just jade strike his dog, and that would be yeah, it. Yeah, I, 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 that was the impression I was under, too. Like, I, I, I don't think it... Like, I don't think Renu is inclined to that kind of sentimentality. Why are you trying to make Renu cry? I think that's a question we should ask. Yeah, but, but Renu's not the sort of guy who cries. That's why they're instead, crying, I guess. <laughs> instead, he, he responds by punching things. His punches are really tears. I guess that could be an appropriate case, but I, I think people's thought is, and not unreasonably, that, that this dog might be something of a soft spot emotionally. Yes. Partially because it is for the players, and it's important enough that it's been reflected on his card. I will say that, like, when I killed Renyu's dog in the card game recently, I was threatened with physical violence. <laughs> was it by Reggie? No, it wasn't by Reggie. It was by the player I was playing. Of course, I you know, we're friends, so it was all in jest. But sure. it was like, you know, this is after I had destroyed an army and like sabotaged some someone and like you know, raised one of his provinces to the ground but i swear you shoot an arrow into a dog oh that's that <laughs> now it's on it's like, oh you will hang for this just like you shot his dog well i mean some of it some of it is war as usual and some of it's just you're trying to make it personal in which case the only logical response is in kind like scorpion what well, yeah, but, like, the whole point of the Scorpion is they will wait, like, two centuries to repay a slight. That's right. And isn't it interesting that you could say that exact same sentence about the lion? <laughs> yep, the lion are going to yep. tell you repeatedly that they're going to pay you back, whereas the Scorpion won't even remind you. Surprise! Payback! The, the, lion, the lion are very open about their grudges. The Scorpion are much, much quieter about it because that's how they get you into a false sense of security. I know what you guys need to do in the story now. You, for whatever reason, have chosen that Beastmasters is going to be a theme. So, so you've got to really, really quickly, because that's how this thing works, you can just manufacture it on the drop of a hat, have some awesome, headstrong Matsu Beastmaster, and then you've got to have the dog and the cat go at it. No, no, no. What we have to do is have the dog oh, and the cat means- living together, followed by mass hysteria. <laughs> I understand that that impetus, but I think we also have to acknowledge that that line is really getting old. No, it is not. <laughs> <laughs> I guess the other way to go would be that, you know, it's it's love at first punch or something between the Matsu and, and Renyu, I guess, but that seems a little trite honestly so yes. see i think i think what you need to do is you need to lean on design to get the dog a personality card such that you can attach the young battle cat to the dog <laughs> uh i that that would be bizarrely like i i want to say applicable and yet i don't <laughs> we, we need more cards like renu with the dog where you can look at this unique personality and look at the story and see how what the guy is doing in the story is being reflected on the card. Mm-hmm. I think we need more. We are, of that. We are trying. It's it's an it's a back and forth, and various other considerations affect our ability to do that. Yeah, it's a many-headed dragon. 
So it's a Hydra? Yes. Give or take. Hail Hydra. Okay. So, there was something you wanted to talk about, Spooky? With this episode? <laughs> oh, yes. So, I did want to mention, you know, if we want to talk about Winter Court 4 some more, anything like that, or you have questions about Winter Court 4 or anything, I am happy to field those as well. And if you have questions about the novel, I'd like to field those too, if you're curious or anything like that. But I definitely want to uh, to make something clear. Probably before this episode airs, there will be an announcement on the AEG website, on the L5R website, uh, regarding the novel and Winter Court 4. I'd like to go into more detail, though. So one of the things, one of the things that happened this year, during Winter Court, I was playing Awako Miyaka and um, her Yojimbo and her Nakoto and a couple other NPCs. At the end of court, I made a little confession, something I did not reveal until the very end, something I kind of kept a secret. I think most people were fooled for a while, but I think some people caught on. It was that I was playing, I was playing an NPC in secret as a player character amongst the delegations. One of the Mantis clan characters was actually being played by yours truly. It was the only Saruchi amongst the Mantis delegation. From day one, I sort of played her as though she were a homebrew character and integrated myself amongst the player base, sort of um, infiltrating the Mantis delegation and uh, telling a story, observing who interacted with the character, and so forth and so forth. The reason being, she's the protagonist of the novel. Saruchi Kinio is the main character of our L5R interactive novel, and all of the players who interacted with her and the characters that influenced her story in significant ways may be featured in the L5R novel. A lot of uh, events that happened at Winter Court will be depicted in the novel as seen through her eyes, and characters who had a lot of interactions with her or impacted her story will show up in the novel as featured characters or even joining the main cast in some cases. To single someone out specifically, there was uh, Hida Tadama was uh, present. He's the Chosen of the Celestial Dragon. He was introduced to uh, Tsuruchi Kinio during court, outside of court, as kind of like, you know, at a at like a sake house or something. And uh, one of the things he did upon meeting her is he offered her a gift. It was a jade arrowhead that had apparently belonged to his uh, grandmother. And he gave it to her as kind of a trinket, and she put it on a little string, and she wore it around her neck. And every once in a while, I made sure to mention that she was still wearing this jade arrowhead. And the two of them became friends, and Tadama kind of became kind of a uh, kind of a mentor for her. And then during the Devil's Chase, when the Oni appeared... 
she was one of the only characters equipped to deal with the Oni, specifically because she had that jade arrowhead that she could affix to one of her arrows and then fire at the Oni. If that player character, if Hida Tadama had never offered that gift, then that moment would not have happened. So that moment will be depicted in the novel. And it's one way that uh, his, you know, that Tadama's player, that uh, Hida Tadama influenced Kinio's story, and it's one thing that will be reflected in the novel. And um, I could just make a big list right now of characters who influenced her story, but I'd rather people find out when they read the novel how many Winter Court players got in and, and in what ways. And in some cases, we kind of raise the veil because Kinio was kind of a private person in many ways. And so her opinion of certain characters may be surprising upon reading the novel, com- contrast with how she acted in court. But yeah, the big thing that I want to point out is that um, is that the, the events of Winter Court impact and influence the novel in significant ways, and I absolutely can't wait to, uh, to show you exactly how. Anyway, that was the big thing I wanted to to, to say. I know, Chris, you didn't play at Winter Court, but um, Jay, you did, right? I did, yes. I got to die to the Oni that you mentioned. <laughs> Who were you? I played uh, Asako Masora, the Phoenix Clan Expendable Inquisitor, who he was very much a behind-the-scenes character, so really most people know him as just the one of the people that died to the Oni. <laughs> That's the one with the uh, hood over his face, right? Yep. Ah, awesome. Cool. That's cool. Do you, um... Oh, I didn't get to interact with you very much, did I? No, no. Again, Masaru was... I mean, he had the hood over his face. His flavor text is about how he's paranoid. The character sheet had antisocial. So I very much was playing him as sort of a... He's not interacting with a lot of people. He's sort of trying to work with just a few, so yeah. He did not have huge interactions with lots of people. I see. Is that too bad, or did you still have fun? Oh, I still had a lot of fun. Awesome. Uh, I mean, no, I, I was not going in to play a Kakita Beret character and oh just, God. you know, touch everybody. Do I want to know how literal we're being here? <laughs> <laughs> Uh, in this case, not very. He he was the, you know, token braggart of the crane who, uh, somewhere in the 20s days, he went into court and did some poetry and offended the Chancellor, and it was hilarious. That often can be hilarious. Yeah. Man, you don't want to offend the Chancellor. I learned that in the first Winter Court. Yeah. I am impressed that the Chancellor did not, you know, have a heart attack at some point or anything. <laughs> oh, man. That was such a good game. Yeah. But, um, I did want to, yeah, I just wanted to put out there that the that the events of Winter Court influenced the novel in significant ways. And uh, I want to I want to go into detail, but can't, because I want you guys to have a reason to read the novel. But um, there, uh, 
I'm really looking forward to uh, completing. I'm actually writing that stuff as we speak, but I'm really looking forward to completing that section of the novel. Do you have any questions for me in in that regard relating to one or both events or anything like that? Well, here, here Jay, you were in Winter Court 4. Ask away. Okay. So, obviously, I understand if you can't answer these, but the first question is, so, obviously, Winter Court's going to come in the novel. How far into the book is that? I mean, is that early start of the book? Is that mid-late? Is that... So, the... Uh... The book itself, I've kind of, um, and of course, all of this is subject to change because sure. the nature of the interactive novel is such that when elements, when new elements are introduced, stuff may have to get shifted around. My intention right now is that the book will be divided into three to four sections, and uh, the second section primarily takes place during winter and winter court. So I would say close to the middle of the book is about when a lot of this happens. And after, as you may recall, at the end of winter court, a group of player characters was formed to hunt down the blood speaker that summoned the Oni. And uh, Kinuyo was put in charge of that. And so, moving forward in the novel, uh, the section that takes place after Winter Court, we'll have to see what becomes of those characters. Right, and I loved the, the uh, I should recall that happening well before you established that that was you. Yep. Yeah. <laughs> it couldn't have worked out better if I'd planned it. <laughs> no, it's actually amazing how well some things worked out. It is. Like the, the Jade Arrowhead, just Crazy. Yeah. <laughs> I'm glad, because <laughs> I was kind of hoping things like that would happen. And, of course, moving forward in the Kote season and so forth, other things will influence the novel and possibly what becomes of our Winter Court characters. But uh, I can't go into too much detail regarding that specifically yet. Sure. But yeah, to answer the to answer the question though, the um, most of the Winter Court stuff will probably be taking place during the middle of the book. I anticipate, okay. and I want to fit everything in, but I don't know how much I will be able to fit in. I don't know if this is going to be a George R. R. Martin size book or if it's going to be a much smaller one, because it's still very much a work in progress, and uh, I'm trying to glean as much as I can from interaction points. But the anticipation right now is that the middle of the book will mostly be will will contain most or all of the Winter Court stuff, and then some lucky characters get to continue into the book and uh, possibly live or possibly die, depending on how much you like them. Yes. <laughs> well, it can't depend on that because I love them. I adore them all. I right, didn't even exactly. Wanna... That's that's why you killed them. You love them too much. Oh, I didn't even want to kill... Well, I did and I didn't. I didn't even want to kill Seppin Asagako. I didn't... It was weird. When we were discussing the Devil's Chase, one of the things that came up, they were like, well, the important character has to die and be killed by the Oni to, to show that the Oni is a serious threat. And as the discussion's going on in my head, I'm going, oh, it has to be Seppin Asagako. Because she was... 
she wasn't a cornerstone of the plot, but players liked her. She had a following. She was important enough. Like, she was a significant enough character. And it would put the princess in direct danger, which was an important part of the plan. And when I, and in my head, I'm going, it has to be Sepin Asagako. I felt this immediate reaction, this immediate rejection of, no, not Asagako. And that's when I knew it had to be her. That, that reaction, that, I don't even know what to call it. This just sort of um, rejection, this immediately of like, you know, it can't be her. We like her too much that I felt inside. I guess I felt like maybe players would feel that and they would care. And I thought, well, then it has to be her. And uh, I don't regret that we did it, but it was definitely, it was painful, but in a way that I think was rewarding because I do think it succeeded in making the stakes a little bit higher and the event feel more real. And for a couple characters, it made motivations more than just protect the princess or protect the city. It was more like vengeance for what they lost. Right. I, I agree. I think that it very much made that whole story much more than just, oh, I guess we got to fight a bad guy, cause, the boss, because we're at the end of this. It, yeah, it definitely brought a good element to it. Now, going on that subject, how far back was Asagago replaced? Specifically, was it her or the Oni that got to throw Karyudo into the pond? It was her that threw Karyudo into the pond. I believe on the forums, and my temptation is to go to the forums right now and check, but I believe on the forums there is a single thread that hints at what happened to Asagako that was mostly overlooked by players. And uh, Asagako was replaced the night of the, like, the Nightmare Court. When, ah. when, when that happened, she was awake. She didn't go to sleep. She was, like, the only NPC that didn't have, that wasn't explicitly asleep. She was in the gardens, and that's when she got replaced. And at that point forward, I tried to hint at it a little bit during the, the Pretty Pretty Princess Party, and yes, that, that, is, that is literally yes. what we called it. The, during the Pretty Pretty Princess Party, patent pending, <laughs> uh, I tried to hint, she was distant, she didn't really talk much to the princess, the princess explicitly is depicted going, man, she's changed recently, but, you know, she had recently broken up with Karyudo, and so my hope was that players would just kind of go, well, she's sad because she's had to give up someone she loves for duty, and not, she must be replaced by an Oni. <laughs> right. Or, I mean, if anything, I think people would have been like, maybe she's a Colat sleeper now! There was enough Colat no nonsense running around. Oh boy, was there ever. Yeah. <laughs> Colat or, or Or was there? Oh. I have no idea if there's Colat stuff or not. There was, yeah. <laughs> the, uh, one of the novel votes we did was, um, a particular faction that would get involved and, uh, get involved in the plot of the novel in an antagonistic role. And we had, like, the Naga, we had, like, Blood Speakers, we had, I think, a Ronin Bandit Band, and we had the Colot. 
And the Colot won the vote by a significant margin. And I, uh, I was kind of hoping it would be the Naga because I have, you know, I just thought that would be unusual and, and kind of an interesting introduction for them. But I'm also glad that it was the Colot because I like them too. But I was surprised by the sheer margin by which they won. They must have a really hardcore faction at work or they want us to think so. Mm. You should, you guys or people really like, like economics. Who doesn't? No, they really... The, the Colot supporters are unified and vocal, which helps tons. <laughs> they also count amongst their supporters a substantial number of very high-level tournament players, which also helps. Yeah. <laughs> Much like the Colot philosophy, not everyone you convert to the Colot cause is going to be you know, the guy who uh, can push your agenda through, but you just make sure that you have one guy at the right place at the right time. If that makes sense. Yes. Do either of you or any of you have questions regarding Winter Court 4 or the novel or both? When can I get my hands on the novel? <laughs> oh, that's a good question. Yeah, when is this coming out? So, the plan right now, as I understand it, will be Early 2016, I believe that's the plan. And of course, don't hold me to that, because who knows? You don't like to be held, I gotcha. Yeah. Oh, I like to be held, but uh, don't hold me to that. <laughs> no, no, wait, no, wait, I know how this works. You slate it for release in early 2016, and then there's a typhoon and Chinese New Year and a dock strike, and so it does not come out until July of 2016. No, 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 Chris, this is, this is a book, so you slate it for 2016, and then the TV series ends up spoiling everything that's going to happen anyway. Ah, you beat me to that joke. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry. I, I was thinking when you were talking about whether or not your book was going to be a George R. R. Martin length, and I'm like, it's okay, as long as it's one book. <laughs> And as long as it actually releases. Uh, uh, that guy writes books? Wow. Uh, every every half decade or so. Like clockwork. Yeah. Oh, I mean, really, at this point, he could be like, you know what? I could just live off the royalty checks from this show, so I'm done. <laughs> well, he could, except he could not survive the angry book fans hearing that he's no longer writing books. I think that you overestimate the ability of angry fans to actually influence anyone to do anything once they've decided that they don't need the fans' money anymore. Oh, I'm, I'm referring to the live part. <laughs> I don't know where I heard this. It's probably not true. It's uh, probably libellious. But, the, uh, <laughs> but I heard that every time someone complains to him about when the book is going to be released, he purposefully does not work on the book for like a week. Oh, see, I've, I've heard it that every time someone asks him why he's not working on the book, he kills a character. I heard that if you stand in front of the mirror in the dark room and say his name three times, he'll tell you why he hasn't finished the book yet after appearing in the mirror. <laughs> it's super creepy. Yeah, I think the flaw with both of those rumors is that if they were true, it would already be too late. <laughs> I Everyone would be dead. I mean, not just a lot of people who are dead, but everybody. 
the book would have been put off until about 2052. <laughs> if you actually delayed by a week every time someone asked or complained. Yeah. So what you're saying is the rumors are true. Gotcha. <laughs> Watch for it, 2052. <laughs> Where he the first chapter is just everybody dies. Some sort of yes, global nuke goes off, and that's that. Rocks fall, everyone dies. Yep. So yes, the goal right now is early 2016. Excellent. But I, I, but I don't know on the production side of it, things could happen. But I think right now we're on track. The funny thing about it is that, like, there are parts of the novel where I don't know how they're going to resolve and things like that, and I'm relying on player interaction and and things that I observe to answer those questions for me. So I alternate between being like, you know, wow, we're we're way ahead of schedule, and then, oh my god, I have a lot of writing to do today. And it's typically typically based on um, things that catch my interest or things that... uh, I think would fit into the novel and then point decisions that players make that influence how the novel goes. It's weird because you normally want to have everything written well in advance, but in this project, we want there to be enough flexibility for players to influence it in a meaningful way, not just like little decisions, but big ones that change the direction that the novel goes. Right. It's not just, you're writing it right now, it's like, okay, and Blake Bob shows up two months later. Okay, that will be Sheba Bob. Yeah, exactly. We don't want that if we can help it. We want it to be like, this affects the plot. This affects how a thing happens. Like, one of the things that players voted on was how the main character would solve a specific problem. It was the Gen Con second chance event at 2014. The way that the winner, like the the way that the deck played and the victory condition was going to determine how Kinio resolves the situation. And uh, in so doing, one of the things that I try to glean is what kind of person our main character is. So when that deck wins... By military, the deck was a military deck. When it wins by a military victory, then I'm like, okay, so what does that mean about our protagonist? Our protagonist solves problems by confronting them uh, full frontally. Yeah, with, with fists is how this person solves problems. And it actually did influence her character. She has a strong martial mindset. She looks through things through that lens first. And it's um, it's ingrained into her character, and that wasn't something that I decided from the start. It was decided by the deck that won, and it's has affected the novel in ways that are hard to point out. When you affect a plot in a way, it's hard to point to it and say this is specifically because of that decision. But in a broad stroke side of way, kind of way, I can say this character's attitudes were influenced by this specific thing that happened that players did. And actually, one of the things I want to do in the novel at the end is include a nice list of all the things that influenced the novel so that you can really look at it and say, wow, that player did this thing, or that thing happened because that player did this. And maybe some players get to see their names in print in the novel too, which would be kind of cool. I have all these great aspirations and plans, but uh, anyway... 
Well, let me see. I this is probably just a phrase from out there, but I know it because of the sort of geek that I am. I know it from Mark Rosewater, which is restrictions breed creativity. The notion being that the right the hardest thing to start with is a blank page and the ability to do anything that you want. So actually having limitations placed can make it easier to get things going. Do you find it to be a uh, well, I'm guessing the answer will be both, but do, do you, in what ways do you find it to be a help and what ways do you find it to be a hindrance in writing the novel that player interaction is dictating some of the confines that you're operating in? In a lot of ways, it really helps me because it answers specific questions that I have about how things will turn out or how characters act who does what, and what the greater implications are. It's difficult, though, to to go to the narrative and find specific points where, care, you know, where it's like, this is a point where players can really influence what's coming up, and then not plan. You know what I mean? Because the more planning that you do, the less flexibility there is for players to influence. So I have to find that medium, uh, you know, that that medium path between the two. And my my ego can get in the way sometimes because I'll know how I would like a sp- specific thing to to resolve or change, but it wouldn't be fair to the vision of the project to project my desire upon it all the time. Because this isn't really just my novel, it's supposed to be the culmination of the collective decisions of multiple players across the player base. We want it to be, ideally, something that's got a lot of people's fingerprints on it. So it's challenging, that restriction is challenging to me in that way. But I can see, I can see the virtue of what you quoted, because it's, that is also true. It was very daunting to come up with a basic plot, not knowing who the main character was or what was going to happen. I have these grand ideas. I'm like, okay, so we want this generally to be the path that the novel follows. But without a main character, I don't know whose eyes we're seeing things through or what the lesson's going to be or what the attitude of the novel is going to be. All these very basic things. And it wasn't until Origins 2014 that that was finally answered or starting to be answered. It's like, well, now I know the clan that the character is going to be from. And then between the Gen Con Second Chance event and talks with players at Gen Con and observing things in between, come to create this character. And now I have a better handle on what the novel is going to be about and the direction it's going to go. So it was daunting before players made their decisions, but then when the, when the decisions were made, when those points were chosen, it became easier. So I stress about that kind of stuff, but then when the decisions are made, it's like, Eureka! It's like discovering a thing, and then you can move forward with it. My big plan is to try and integrate everything so tightly that it doesn't seem like a bunch of scatterpoint plots. I think I've been successful so far, but it really has been that kind of thing where you're like, where when the decision is made, it has lifted a weight off my shoulders and made things easier. But I do still have anxieties because my ego gets in the way. 
and I'm like, I want this thing to be done. I have to let some of that go. That's really what this is about. Letting go of some of that control so that players can really decide something that really matters within the novel, not just on the surface, but deep down to the roots. Does that make sense? Yes. Did that come out right? <laughs> well, I don't know if it came out right or not. <laughs> well, it's very interesting. It'll be very interesting once the novel is actually out and you can talk about some of the specifics, like I mean, like you were saying, with the characterization of the character being dependent upon some of these tur- tournament outcomes. It'll be interesting. I would assume once the novel's released, you'd do some sort of like post-mortem of listing out exactly all of the different pieces that came in to impact the novel. Oh yeah, I'd love to. I'd actually also, as we get closer to the date, I'd love to be on again and talk to you guys a little bit more about it and and how it's taking shape. That's not a problem. You guys basically have standing invitations. I know uh, Hand wants to come on, so that should, for, for our listeners, that should hopefully happen soonish. Right. I know we have some other things we will. Just, just look for an episode titled Talk to the Hand. That's actually a reasonable <laughs> probability now that you mention it. <laughs> we, I spent a lot of time on the the new player one that just came out, and then we had this, and then there was some Doontown we wanted to do, and I hear that there's actually been an expansion released now, so we probably want to talk about that. Yeah. Although it's it's kind of the weird thing where like it got released and then the next day there were tournaments with it. Uh, <laughs> I can't imagine where did I where did I come up with that joke about all the delays of a product at the beginning of the year? I can't mm. imagine. <laughs> so, <laughs> like I said, Jay Jay was at Winter Court Four, so it's easier for him to ask questions. I mean, I suppose I could get yet another opinion on the apparent train wreck that was the Dragon Delegation's first half of Winter Court, but I don't really know if there's any need to rip into them anymore by implication. <laughs> I'm just... I don't know. Oh, wait! It's too late. Mm. It's too late. One of my uh, buddies in my playgroup was in the uh, Dragon Delegation, actually. Yes. And uh, he's a cool dude. I think he's... Uh, his star scream on the AEG forums. His name is Donald. And yeah. actually he's one of the people responsible for getting me into L5R in the first place. So all that I knew about, cause I wasn't one of the GMs overseeing what was happening at uh, the dragon delegation. It was entertaining to follow him and, and the others now and again, and just kind of look over there and say, Oh wow, there's something interesting happening in that delegation. He was in the delegation at winter court three as well. So That's he was, true. he was Ango, Ango, Tagashi Ango. All right, the cryptic monk. He was the closest that we had to a Fudoist. <laughs> well, because like in, in Winter Court Two, every delegation had somebody who was secretly a member of the Spider Clan. Well, at least almost all of them did. Maybe not every single one. And in Winter Court Three. Every delegation, or almost every delegation, ha- had somebody who was a Fudoist. And the Dragon Delegation did not have somebody who was straight out a Fudoist, but you had Ango, who had, like, Fudoist sympathies, and and these were characters who had access to, basically, the Fudo 
secret headquarters or whatever it was. Right. So, at least that was something I got to declare a victory on in Winter Court 3, as much as one can declare anything based on the results of Winter Court 3. <laughs> I'm like, well, Tsukuhime did denounce Fudoism, so mission accomplished. I don't know what that's going to do, but by gum. Well, I, I don't know how much you were paying attention to all the goings on, but that, I managed to coordinate, like, eight delegations all sending representatives to support a petition all at the same time, so that took some doing. Absolutely. Yeah, I don't mean to deride your accomplishment at all. Oh, yes. Totally means to deride your accomplishment. Yeah. Why not? I, I mean... Hey, no, that's my job. <laughs> what am I here for, then? <laughs> Seriously, it's tough, though. It's like wrangling cats. Mm. Players have their own ideas about things, and sometimes they make court declarations without consulting anybody, or <laughs> or making uh, arra- you know making arrangements with other clans and promising resources without consulting anybody. That happens sometimes. Yeah, no, I, I think wrangling cats is easier, because as long as you're willing to get clawed, you can actually pick up the cat and move it somewhere. Yeah. <laughs> well, I mean, to, to, to be fair, it's not like I was trying to get all of the clans to do something that was generally antithetical to them i mean right it's like oh lion would you be willing to denounce this new philosophy that questions the supremacy of bushido oh you would what a surprise i mean yeah i mean let's you know let's let's not pretend like i'm a miracle worker here so i yeah yeah so going back to where the court four questions I do have to ask Spooky, how much fun did you have talking to yourself? Because those were some great threads to read. <laughs> I had a lot of fun. I kind of felt guilty doing that because I it's there for player interaction, but I felt like some cutscenes were necessary to kind of show glimpses of what was happening behind the scenes. And I had a, I had a blast writing that stuff. I just love writing, you know. He also yeah, really was- enjoys talking to himself. Yeah, I do it all the time. <laughs> I, yes, no, I, I, I think those were great, and as you said, they were really helpful for us who are watching to have an idea of who was in contention and who was just wasting their time. And how insane that character's GM was. <laughs> See, now again, we don't know, some of us don't know who we're talking about. There, um... yeah, that's only necessary for those who don't already know you. <laughs> Oh, man. Yeah, but that's that's the great thing you have to think about about like being on a podcast or writing as an important character on the forum. Normally, you'd just be a crazy guy talking to yourself, but now all of a sudden, no, 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 you're doing it for the audience. It's art. Oh yeah, it is art. <laughs> I have suffered from my art, and now it's your turn. <laughs> oh man. I know it's ultimately just pulp, but I like to think that there's that it's still art on some level. I don't think it's high art. I'm walk, I'm t- writing about guys hitting each other with swords, but I also like to think I like to try and inject some philosophy and some thoughts into it. So, and I want the novel to mean something more than just Saruchi Kinio shot a bunch of arrows at dudes. I want it to Yay. mean something. So. I'm looking for a message to incorporate into the novel, and uh, I have a I have an idea of one. It's just whether or not, because the thing is, like, as players make decisions, 
and change and influence the plot, the message could also change. So it has to be flexible enough for that. And I wish I could tell you how many times I've revised old stuff to mesh with new decisions that were made. I've been doing that a ton of times. There's a, there's no chronologically writing something like this. You have to kind of let it congeal in the way that it does. I am learning a ton from this project. Hopefully I'll be a better writer when it's done. Or he'll be very upset. Yeah. <laughs> okay, now though, I, I think we've at least exhausted for the purposes of this episode the the Winter Court 4 and the the novel and that I I wanted to go way 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 back to the stuff that I was asking you Fred about the whole Cote season and whether or not people know what's going on thing. Before you do, there's one okay. more novel thing that I need to do. Okay. So one of the things that we're going to do with the novel, players are going to make specific choices that influence the novel, how characters interact and, and all that important plot points. And sometimes, sometimes it will be decisions will be sprung on players unexpectedly. So this is the strange assembly novel choice. Uh, and you can answer it now, or you can send me an email, uh, however you want to do it. Uh-oh. But I have a question for you. <laughs> Uh-oh. There is a Dragon Clan character in the novel who is pursuing an antagonist. And this character is either pursuing the antagonist to retrieve something that was lost for the greater good of the Empire or for a personal slight. And uh, I guess I wanted to know which you think that Dragon Clan character, which motivation that character is acting under between those three. And if you want to think about it, if you want to get back to me, that's fine. If you want to uh, just blurt something out or what, I don't know how you, how you want to make the decision, <laughs> but it is your decision to make both of you. Ooh. What do you think we should choose, Jay? I'm leaning towards personal flight just because that abuses me the most. That's that's a terrible reason. <laughs> also, that's my least favorite reason. <laughs> well, because well, it, it, it's the the problem Fred runs into with dragon like me. It's because that's the sort of thing where if you see it happening, it may be interesting, but if given the like a general sort of choice about why the the dragon or a dragon would be doing something uh, i am I'm one of the dragon who kinds of leans towards the goody two shoes reasoning <laughs> so i hear that one and i'm like uh i don't know i don't know about that <laughs> oh, okay. i have something planned if you guys are split but if you both agree that makes it even easier Oh. <laughs> we we could go with the greater good. Yeah, I know. I didn't know if that seemed a little uh, yeah. little trite or something. Spooky, spooky, I don't... You've seen Hot Fuzz, right? Oh. Uh, no. uh, the the robot, the greater good. No, no, no. Have you seen Hot Fuzz before? The Simon Pegg movie? 
Oh, yeah, I've seen Hot Fuzz. Okay. That's what I'm thinking when I say the greater good. (laughs) (laughs) We would not have offered the choice if we were not comfortable, well, willing to live with um, either of your outcomes. (laughs) And, of course, this will be what the character believes is the greater good. The personal slight could be, you know, interpreted in a number, a number of different ways. And I want to be a little ambiguous with it because I want to give you a reason to, to uh, read the novel. And also because for the purpose of this character specifically, this character is enigmatic. And I don't want to give too much away about the dragon character. But general motivations, that's acceptable. No, that's fine, and I, I believe I'm on the record recently as saying that that the story team should not, in fact, have to explain every single nuance <laughs> of every decision that somebody uh, might have to, to make. No, yeah, because I, yeah, the, the, I guess to me the phraseology personal slight makes it sound somehow petty. I guess if personal slight is like, you killed my father, prepared to die, you know, that's... <laughs> You know, there could be different uh, different reasons for that. So well, I mean, arguably, Hitomi's whole reason for pursuing Yakima was a personal slight, right? Yes. I will say, because of the Dragon Clan deck at Origins 2014 in the finals, that this Dragon Clan character is generally of an honorable nature. But that doesn't necessarily mean that the personal slight is a slight over honor necessarily. It could be, it could not be. It gives you, uh, just to make you, I guess, have anguish over the choice a little longer. (laughs) Sure, sure. Why not? Do you want to get back to me later on your thoughts, or do you want to... I kind of do. On the other hand, it's really much more interesting if I have to give you an answer now. That's true. Yes, it's actually more fun for us if we uh, are are not kind and instead and instead say answer now. Yeah, I'm grinning ear to ear right now. It is. It is. I I know. I uh, um this is what we call analysis paralysis. I know. Okay. Okay. Here's yes, and it's Chris. I will go ahead and join Jay in saying that it's something personal. Right. Not because I think it's not not for the same reasons. Though I think that's hilarious, and I'm in hopes that it's not uh, a completely petty personal thing. But for for the greater good of the empire, is probably less likely to be interesting. So, so let's go with the, the it's personal. Sounds good. So the dragon character is. Uh pursuing an antagonist because, among other things, it's personal. <laughs> yes. Locked in. Thank you so much for your choice, guys. That helps That helps me a great deal. A lot of things just, uh, a lot of things just clarified for me. But I can't really follow that, so... <laughs> but what was your question, sir? Oh. And you're welcome for the choice, and thank you for offering the, the choice. I guess the question was, if, if you guys are trying to be less opaque about uh, what's going on, it, it seems like the 
the spider are somewhat in a position where whether or not their choices are corrupt things or save things could have significant long-term implications for their clan, and yet that's not really clear that that is actually the case, or if it is the case, in what way it affects things, and is that unfair to them to to kind of not provide more information about that? I am... Um, you're, you're, you're kind of right. I would like to be able to provide more. Part of it is we are working on having a broader amount of information that we're bringing to everyone. And we're hurrying through that process. And once that is done, we'll all go up and this question will then be moot, I think. I think. But it's a matter of wanting to make sure that information comes out at the right time for everyone, blah, 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 blah. It is one of those stress points that we pointed out internally where information generally on, like, this Kote season generally, and in the spider in particular, needs to get out there quickly. And so your, your underlying point that wouldn't it be better to have more is correct, it's just some of it isn't ready yet. Okay. Well, that was yeah, that was the one thing I had. We got two of them here, Jay. Anything else you want to harass them with, whether or not it has anything to do with Winter Court 4 or the novel? No, I think I've harassed Spooky enough. <laughs> you can never harass Spooky enough. <clears throat> That's the truth. Yes. Fair enough. I'll, I'll, I'll ponder, and I'll, I'm sure by the time Gen Con rolls around, I'll have plenty more to harass both of you with. Awesome. Yeah. I'll be yes. Well, yes, because remember, J- Jay will be yeah. our uh, yeah, yeah. our strange assembly representative at at Gen Con this year, since my brother's a jerk. <laughs> How dare he like schedule his wedding like yeah. during Gen Con? All right. Well, thank you for coming on, Fred, and thank you for coming on, Spooky. Thank you for having me. It's always a privilege, <laughs> or at least a duty. Who knows? <laughs> You have been listening to Strange Assembly, your tabletop gaming podcast. You can check us out on the web at www.strangeassembly.com. You can subscribe to the podcast there or on iTunes. You can follow us on Twitter where we're at Strange Assembly. And someday, someday I'll figure out how to make WordPress and Facebook play nicely together again. And then you'll find relevant content at facebook.com slash strangeassembly. In the meantime, you can reach me at Chris at Strange Assembly. But until then, for Fred Wan, Robert Denton, Jay Earl, I'm Chris Stevenson, and this is Strange Assembly. Never stop gaming.